Okay, so here we go. Today uh, we're in session two, uh, observing the life. Believers live in light of God's promises. We'll be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 to 12, grinding through this. Um, I think we've got two more weeks of Thessalonians, and then we'll start 2 Kings. So 2 Thessalonians chapters, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. As we open this, uh, i got a couple of quick questions. Dealing with false teachers, that's what Paul's going to talk about as we do this. Um, what tricks do false teachers use to stir up believers? What tricks, what things do they do to get us all, you know, kind of all stirred up and, and upset and everything. That's all I had. I was thinking way back when with Moses that they do magic to make people believe. Okay, sure. That, that you've got some. The whole Benny Hinn, faith healing, <laughs> all of that. Um, sure, they do stuff like that. What else do they do? Half-truths. Half-truths. Things that sound like scripture. They what? Things that sound like scripture. Things that sound like scripture. Oh, yeah. Follow your dream. Be the real you. That all sounds, that sounds pretty good, right? All that self-help kind of stuff, it sounds good. But it's completely contrary to true biblical scripture where Christ tells us to deny yourself and follow him. Paul says to become like Christ and to deny yourself and become like him over and over and over again. But all those things, they just sound so, so, so good. When they use God's word out of context. Oh, yeah, they take it out of love, love every, love your everyone, right? No, no, that's not quite what he was talking about. Um, the church is supposed to love each other unconditionally. The world is supposed to look at us and go, we want that, and, and come and join us. But that's neither here nor there. Um, so the world likes to take bits and pieces. They, they think scripture is a smorgasbord. Mm -hmm. That you can pick and choose what you want, and you don't have to, you can leave what you don't like. Like, I don't like okra. <laughs> I don't like okra. Yeah, no, not, not an okra fan. But if you're down south and you go to the old country buffet or whatever, they got okra on the, on the, on the bar. Now, I like the country fried steak. Love that chicken steak with the gravy. Put that on there. You know, uh, the green beans. Love the green beans. Love the baked beans. But I get to the okra, and I, and I, I, I just keep right on walking by. Don't like the okra. I never tried but they, it. But, but that's the thing. You're coming through scripture, and oh, love everyone. I love that one. That's great. We'll, we'll keep that one. Oh, but I, I, I got to deny myself. Oh, no, we're going to pass on that one. We keep on moving. You know, oh, God's going to judge everybody at the end. Great, I'll take that. I want a double helping of that. Uh, you know, and we think it's a smorgasbord, but it's not. It's really not. And false teachers love to use that very thing. Anything else that they do? You get give us money, and it'll come back to. Oh, you. there you go. Yeah, the whole health and wealth. You know, you 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 pay up, and God will bless you twice as much, right? Yeah, sure. That that really that burns my bacon. I, when, I, when I start hearing people talking like that, I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. What else? Anything? 
What about politics? Don't talk about it. They, they, get, <laughs> they, they get you with the whole, all the, whatever the political hoo-ha of the day is, and they make it, they start making one side sound better or somebody else, and they, they start making all that happen. Oh, that's, that, that really riles up the church, doesn't it? Scared them with the end times. Stuff. Scared them with the end times. There you go. That's big right now, as you can tell. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah everybody, uh, the doom and gloom. How does Christ's promises of his return help us to live in such a fallen world? How does Christ's promises of coming help us live in this fallen world? Go ahead, Carl. Gives us peace and comfort. Um, peace and comfort. Hope. Hope. Looking forward to his coming. Yeah. Looking forward. It Hope. The idea of the future. Somebody else? Peace. Peace. It helps me be a happy warrior because I know Jesus is the victor. So yeah. I'm, I'm really willing to be a happy fighter because I know I'm part of the victory. We, we already won. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Imagine the the guys on D Day if they would have known that we won the war. How willing would they have been? I mean, they were already willing to storm those beaches. But how much more if they would have known that the outcome was already assured, that their sacrifice had already won the war? Because they died not knowing whether we won or lost on those beaches. Can you imagine if you would? Yeah, we're we, we've already won. That's what we're going to see as we look into this today. As we look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, we're going to see what Paul is telling the Thessalonians. Remember, they're under extreme um, persecution. It's coming down heavy for them. And so he has sent this second letter. He sent the first letter because he didn't know how they were faring. He just knew there was persecution. So he sent a letter. And then he got a letter, he got information back, and now this is his return letter on that, based on that information. So let's take a look at what he's got to say. There we go. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 to 5, if somebody could uh, read that for us. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God, or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Is it five? five okay. yeah. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Okay. There's a lot here, isn't there? He reminds them not to be quickly shaken or alarmed by either spirit What's he referring to? Spirit. Demons. Yeah. False spirits. Demons were coming to people 
and telling them what was going to happen. People would be like, I got a message from the Lord. The Spirit came to me. We, we, in our modern era, we kind of laugh that off. But in the early part of the last century, spiritualists were, were big. The whole occult, contacting, getting spirit guides. We laugh at that sort of thing today. But guess what? It happens. It happens enough that Paul warns us against it. We become so scientific that we, we downplay it. We laugh at all the, the people that come on, you know, the 900 numbers, you know, call for your future. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. we, we think of it as a joke, but it's not a joke. It really happens. False spirits come and whisper in people's ears lies. Tell them things that aren't there. And it was stirring up trouble in Paul's day. The spoken word, somebody who just, you know, I got it figured out. All these people who've got all their charts and everything. Look, I got it figured out. I know when and how it's happening. Um, letters. Paul sends letters, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. People were writing letters in his name. We, we got a whole lot of books that are not part of our Bible. Um, that are, you know, some people consider them scripture, but they're not because they're not authentic. They can't be authenticated because other people have written them in the names of other people. Book of Elijah. <laughs> Elijah didn't write a book. We, we have, there, there's no proof that he ever wrote a book or, or anything. But people will write in the names and then they'll, they'll hide it and they make it up. And, oh, look, we just discovered the lost book. And it's got all this weird stuff in it that doesn't align with what we know in Scripture. Yeah, false letters. Well, they were doing the same thing then. It hasn't changed. Um, yeah, he, he reminds us, don't be deceived. He tells us, and we're going to look at this in a minute, he tells us what order things are going to come in, which is strange because how would he know? Where would Paul get this information of what's going to happen? Because look, the last line. I remember that when I was with you, I told you these things. Where does he get the idea? Is it new? From Jesus. Okay. He get, some of it's from Jesus. Sure. Jesus told us what was going to happen the in the Old end. The Old Testament. The Old Testament. Paul is, was, is, I don't know, a Pharisee. The Pharisees, he wasn't just any Pharisee. He was the disciple of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. These guys were the most well-read, well-respected, I mean, he would have been a doctor of Old Testament. PhD, because he knew it so well. Where do you think he would have gone to in the Old Testament to find out how, what was going to happen in the end? Isaiah. Isaiah. Daniel. <clears throat> yeah. Daniel, Ezekiel. There's, there's a whole lot of it that talks about it. The problem is, is that the prophets didn't understand. And the Pharisees studied it for centuries and didn't understand. But when Jesus came, died, rose, and went to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. Remember, their eyes were open. That was what happened on the day of Pentecost. Their eyes were open, and all the things Jesus told them, they knew. They had the knowledge. Then they gained the understanding. The blinders were removed. Well, guess what happened to Paul? He got saved, didn't he? On the road to Emmaus, or Damascus. The blinders were just as those scales fell off of his eyes, 
so did the blinders to understanding the Old Testament. So here's a guy who already knew everything about the Old Testament. He didn't understand. Now it's available to him. Let's take a look. Because he doesn't have the New Testament. See, we always think about when we want to understand the future, where do we go? We go to the New Testament. We go to Revelation, right? John doesn't have his vision. This is written somewhere around 60 A.D., somewhere 50 to 60 A.D. John doesn't write Revelation until around 100. So Paul is talking about the end times to Thessalonica nearly 40 or 50 years before John writes Revelation, which is funny because it reads just like Revelation, doesn't it? Which means that there must have been something written before. So let's go and look at that uh, very quickly. This is a long, long passage. Daniel, chapter 7, verses 19 through 28. Then I desired to know the truth. We looked at this several, maybe it was last summer we were doing Daniel. Anyway, several, several books ago. Uh, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. So this is Daniel's vision. He's had a vision about the beasts and the fourth beast that comes out of the sea and it has the ten horns. All right, remember that? Vaguely? Okay. Keep that idea in your mind. We'll uh, talk about it here in a second. Which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns there were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the spirits of the Most High, and the time came when the saints uh, possessed the kingdom. Thus said, thus he said, as for the fourth beast, beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones. He shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and his dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, 
and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is the Old Testament. Paul knew this, and as he's describing to the Thessalonians what's going to happen, he's drawing from this. See, they didn't understand what this was when Daniel had this vision. All they could see was the overthrow of kingdoms. But it really isn't just about kingdoms, is it? It isn't about just this world. We know that it uh, deals with Satan and all his demons and all that. And we're going to see that out of this period, it's going to be pretty bad for those saints on the earth, right? And that's what's happening to Thessalonica. They're under great persecution. Paul says, it's okay. The end hasn't come yet. We're going to know it because the Ancient of Days is going to come. And Paul knows who the Ancient of Days is. It's Jesus. And he's going to come and try and judge everybody. It isn't going to sneak up on us. The day is going to be sneak up on us. It's going to be like a thief because you don't know when it's coming. But when it comes, you're going to know it. Just like you know the thief was there. Because they smash, grab, and haul off with everything. And, and I mean, if you've ever had your house robbed, been there. Uh, they don't. They leave it a mess. I mean, stuff everywhere. They open every drawer, dump them out. Every box, everything. They they just they just leave it a horrendous mess. Looking for your valuables. You know they were there. There's no doubt in your mind. And that's what he's talking about. This is the teaching that he was using to talk to them. See, it's already been given. John hasn't had his visions yet, but Daniel had his. Ezekiel had it. We, we could just go and, and read through verse after verse, but I don't want to get into all of that. We're in part two of 2 Thessalonians. This is instruction. This is the part where Paul is instructing the Thessalonians, and he says, remember my teaching. Remember Paul's teaching. Well, what teaching did he give them? What things did he want them to remember? Well, first is, don't get upset about speculative claims. A lot of these false teachers were going around saying, Jesus already returned. You missed it. You missed it. You weren't here. You were sleeping. You weren't saved yet. You didn't make the cut. Which, you think about it, uh, that'd be pretty upsetting. If he already came and we're still stuck here living the life that we're currently living, is it worth living? Is it worth being a Christian if we already missed the boat? Not really. Not really. Remember, Paul, Paul tells them, um, was it the Ephesians, I think? That he should be pitied among men if it's not true. Because it's a waste of time. What a waste of life to live for everybody else and not for yourself. And that's what's going on. People are like, well, well, if he's already come, then I guess I don't need to do any of this. And I can just I can do what I want to do. Paul's like, no. No, don't forget what I told you. It's going to get bad. It's going to be a whole lot worse. And when he comes, it's going to be obvious. He then talks about those who are going to be apostate. Apostasy. Does anybody know what that actually means? 
It's one of those churchy words that gets tossed around a lot. Departing from the truth. Departing from the truth? Okay, yeah. That, that, that fits it. Turning away from. Turning away from. The, the actual Greek word says to stand. It's standing away or withdrawing. So there's going to be a large group of people that were in the church that are going to turn away. They're going to withdraw from the church. They're going to leave and not be part. They don't want to be part anymore. They're going to be apostate. There's going to be a huge falling away when the end comes. We're seeing that today, aren't we? The American church is shrinking. If you, if you follow the, the polls and all of that, Especially through COVID, how many churches have closed? Yeah. And it's because there are no people. Actually, I, I just sent an article to Chris that I had gotten. Um, most pastors, uh, I think it was 63%, do not have a Christian worldview. Most pastors coming out of our seminaries today see it as a business. It's just like anything else. They decide they want to be a pastor just like they want to be a CEO. Or they go to school. They get the degree. They don't necessarily believe any of it. It's a job. It's no longer a calling. And 63% of, of the pastors, and we're talking about like senior pastors and stuff. The numbers go up as you move down to associate <laughs> pastors and youth pastors. It, the, the numbers are abysmal. They don't really believe any of the stuff in the Bible. That's horrible. It is. It makes it our job all that more difficult, the elder's job more difficult, as we're looking for, you know, replacements or new people. How do we, we we've got to find, these people will tell you whatever you need to believe about them, but they don't believe themselves because they're just looking for a job. I've got this degree and I need a job and I can do really well with it. And they've got all the hype. We, even when I was in college, we used to sit around at lunch and talk about what it would take to build a mega church that would make mega money. You know, you need snappy pattern routine, a dynamic personality to lead. The teaching was inconsequential as long as it was pseudo-biblical and you need a good jazz team and music and all that that everybody likes and you will draw them in. And we see churches like that, don't we? They got a lot of hoopla going on. And a lot of fun. And then you start listening to the message. And you actually start paying attention. And it's like that deep. If it's that deep. It may be only half truths. And it's short. Oh, I don't want to keep you long. People love that. I don't want to keep you long. Really? Jesus would get up and talk and speak for hours. And nobody left. To the point that there wasn't enough time to go and get food for the evening meal. And they're all going to be hungry all night. They didn't leave. How hungry are you? What are you hungry for? Are you hungry for the word of God? That you, you're happy to stay? Or are you like, uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been 20 minutes, Pastor. We we don't, I gotta go, man. The, the beach is waiting, the golf course. We start. So, oh yeah, we're gonna keep it short. And it's just a handful of fluffy sayings that may or may not be biblical. People eat it up. Yeah, go ahead. Dennis. Makes me think of a lot about these uh, most of the TV preachers. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. They tell you what they want to hear, what you want to hear, and then uh, they just ask for your money. Right. And now we've had a hard time. We've just come through two years where it's very difficult. And people are looking at their Christianity going, is it really worth my time, effort, and money? 
No, not really. And so they're falling away. And we look at it and go, oh, no, look at all the Christians are falling away. Really? Jesus warned us about the seeds, right? Mm -hmm. That there's four kinds. There's a kind that just never does anything. It just kind of cooks right there on the ground. Mm -hmm. Those are people who are like, yeah, I'm not interested in Christianity. And they walk away from you. But you get people who spring up real quick and they, and they look like they're growing and all that. And then all of a sudden they just fall away. That's people of the apostate. They look like they became Christians, but they really didn't. There were no roots. They didn't sink down. They weren't part of that. They'll never bear fruit because it's too shallow. It was a great idea at the time, and then the hard times start coming. And they're like, nah, you know what? I, I like the world's view better. And they leave. And what we've got to do is realize that, you know what? They were never here. They were never part of this. It, it's hard to, we don't want to believe it. But we've been sucked into this whole thing about, you know, oh, they walked the aisle, they prayed the prayer, they knelt by their bedside. And yeah, there's a lot of people that that's going to crop up and it's going to spring up. It's the people who stay through the hard times that have the roots that are the church. There's going to be a great turning away, and we're seeing that. Does that mean today is it? No, because the church has seen turning aways a lot. I mean, England suffered a great turning away. That's why they had to write one of my favorite movies, or, well, I guess it's a book, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Hmm. Men no longer cared about the welfare of others and all the moral and Christian values of England had fallen in the gutter to the point that secular writers started writing about moral imperatives that needed to be reminded of because there was a great apostate. That Spurgeon talks about it all the time, just trying to draw everybody back and stuff. That they, you know, many sat in his under him and weren't really believers. There's this whole problem. People like the idea of Christianity. It's a great idea if everybody would agree to it and live to it. But most people don't want, they wanted everybody else to do it, not themselves. Because then it's good for me. Lastly, he talks about the man of destruction. This man of destruction is going to come with false claims. What is he going to claim? He's God. Wow. He's God. He's going to come and he is going to proclaim himself to be the one that decides everything. Now, we look at this in terms of an individual. And we're like, well, we, we live in a democracy. There is no individual that's actually in charge and all that. I don't know that it's actually a person. It could be an ideology. I mean, Paul tells us that it's a person because he's gotten that from Daniel. And Daniel had a vision of the beast and the horns and all that, and we just read that. It may be a single person. And I think that ultimately there will be a single antichrist, a single person that will embody the whole thing. But I think there's going to first be an idea, an ideal, a view of life that comes and sweeps in and says, you know what, you don't need any of this. Um, and that's going to take hold and lead us eventually to that. 
I think we're there yet. But we're getting there. Comments, questions. See, this guy is going to be obvious. And that's what Paul's trying to convince them of. Quit listening to those whispering in the corners that Jesus came. This guy hasn't come yet. He still hasn't come. And Obama wasn't him. And Bill Clinton wasn't him. And Trump wasn't him. Yeah, guess what? Biden. Yeah, Biden, <laughs> he is yeah. We'll see how, how this plays out. Let's look at uh, the next passage. There you go. 2 Thessalonians Ooh. chapter 2, verses uh, 6 through 8. How many read that? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will come, be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. All I got to say is, wow. Do we understand this? See, we're always looking for the end. We want to understand the end and who it is. We get caught up in the who this is rather than what's going on. I want to look at what's going on. The timing of the events is important. Not for the ways in that most people are studying the end times. The man of lawlessness is restrained, Paul says. What does that tell us? He's not powerful. He's not powerful. There come a time when he is not restrained. He's not restrained. What else does it tell us? Someone's more powerful than he is. Somebody's more powerful than he is. And he's saying that until he's out of the way, other meaning until he's overcome. Well, until he's out of the way, the, the restrainers, who that's referring to, and we'll talk about that in a second. The, meaning Jesus, right? We'll talk about it in a second. Okay. <laughs> Get to him. Hang on there. Hold your question. Paul wrote this when? During persecution. During persecution, okay. What year? 60 AD. Yeah, 50, 60 AD, right? <clears throat> the man of lawlessness is restrained. What year is it? 2022. Uh -huh. He's still restrained, isn't he? Oh. Yeah, see, this is why I said I think that this is more than an individual. See, we keep looking for an individual. The man of lawlessness isn't Satan. He's not restrained, is he? See, we think it's Satan. We only, you know, well, that's one of the groups. When, when you start studying in times, like, oh, yeah, the man of lawlessness, it's Satan. Satan's not restrained, is he? He has full reign of this world. He comes and goes as he pleases. So he's not the man of lawlessness because he isn't restrained. He will be restrained at some point, but he's running loose. Whoever this man of lawlessness, we don't understand what this is, do we? Paul's saying it's restrained. We're here 2,000 years later. Well, not quite. 1,990 years later. 
he's still restrained. He hasn't been loosed because those things haven't happened yet. Whatever this is, whatever this embodies is still being withheld from the world by something much stronger. We're not seeing those trying times. The Thessalonians thought that it was happening to them. They were suffering persecution, and it was pretty bad. And Paul says, nope, nope, not it yet. We keep looking at our world and going, oh, yeah, this is it. Look at this. We, we've got this one world government coming, this one world currency coming, this virus, the, you know, the UN is trying to take over, and we, keep, we start listing off all the things that are going on, and you know what? There was a lot more going on. It was even worse when the Thessalonians were under it. They were being forced to worship the emperor. They already had a one world government. The emperor was in charge. His word was law, and Paul says, nope, nope, he's restrained. It ain't time yet. It hasn't gotten that. You, you getting the idea here? We, we keep running after all this stuff, and we want to say it's this guy, that guy, this person, this idea, this political party. No. The man of lawlessness is restrained. The world is a messed up place. All that we see that's going on right now is pretty messed up. But it isn't his fault yet, is it? He doesn't have full reign. He didn't have full reign in the Thessalonians' day. And it was, I mean, if you start reading about what Nero was doing and all that, it was bad. It's not that bad today. And if this guy is not released, then how much worse is it going to be when he is? This is why I don't get all excited when everybody's like, oh, look at who's getting, who's running for president. Really? Have you actually read what's going to happen? Go ahead, Cindy. Could this be a distraction that keeps our eyes off of Jesus? Yes! Yes, it is! This is tough. See, now that's Satan. Amen. There's where Satan... Satan is by nature a... Deceiver. Deceiver! He ain't no front-line battle kind of guy. He's like back there manipulating everything and everyone and all that. This guy is going to be empowered by him. But he, he ain't come yet. He hasn't been released. we got so much going on. And we get, we, I, I just don't want us to be tied up looking at our world going, oh, my word, what, where is this? How is this play? Man, it doesn't matter. We need to live as Christ. Where's my thing? <laughs> here's, here's the next thing because this really annoys me. There's a, there, I mean, there are whole classes on spiritual warfare. What in the world do any of us know about spiritual warfare? I mean, you could study scripture and all that. There, there's no battle plans. No, no, they, they, yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. And they tend to get it from the mystic books out of the Old Testament that aren't part of the Old Testament times that are not part of scripture. But guess what? Human ability or pure will cannot restrain evil. This man of lawlessness is being restrained. There are people out there and churches out there that teach that it's the church doing it. That when the church is removed, then all the evil will spill forth and all that. Guess what? Paul said that he's restrained. In Paul's day, was the church powerful? No. Was it large? No. Was it a political entity? No. No, the church had nothing. They were cowering 
in catacombs. The church is not who's restraining the man of lawlessness. See, again, there's Satan deceiving us that we're the powerful, we're the one. When we stop being who we are, then it'll happen. So that we just keep, we keep doing it. So they just keep, you know what they do? Is they start putting up lists of rules and regulations. We need to keep these commandments so that the man of lawlessness can still be restrained. Really? We're not doing it. He was restrained before we existed. And he'll be restrained even after we're gone. And it won't make a single bit of difference because he's being restrained by the ancient of days. He's the only one with the power to restrain this because he's running this whole system, isn't he? When he finally is ready to bring the judgment, he's going to take his hand off this guy, let him run his trail, and then he's going to show up. And we're all going to know it. And he's going to pronounce judgment on him, the world, and everything. And nobody's going to have to guess. We're all going to know it. Humanity has no ability to restrain him. All the prayers, all the prayer walks, people walking through towns, reclaiming places, trying to map what demons are in charge of. You'd be amazed how much money is spent on this, trying to figure out what demons are in charge of what place so that we can find them and all that. Jesus didn't tell us to do any of that. What did he tell us to do? Believe in him. Love one another in the church. Love one another. Take care of each other. Be each other's responsible partner. We're supposed to one another each other. That's what we've been told to do. We weren't told to go out and fight and wage war and, with the demons and all that. We're supposed to pray. Pray about it. Sure, that's a great thing. But it isn't our job to fight. This war is already won because of what Jesus did on the cross. The outcome is already there. Go ahead, Peg. Uh, then where, <coughs> where does it come in Ephesians chapter 6. You're going to have to remind me. I'm not looking it's, at it. Uh, <clears throat> that, uh, <clears throat> I better look at it. <laughs> it's where, it's where it tells you to put on the armor of sure, God. Sure, because we're being attacked. But it isn't our, that's for us to be able to stand. It isn't for us to go out and figure it. See, we keep wanting to do the job that Jesus has already done. It isn't our job to defeat evil. Well, actually it is. How do we defeat evil? By living the life that he told us to live. We put on the armor so that when the world attacks us, when we're attacked, we can stand. See, we're, we're, not, we're not the front line running forward. We're the bulwark. And we're gathering in those. Think of it in terms of the castle. We're the guards on the walls protecting and we're supposed to find the Christians and we gather them in and we love each other and we do that and we tell the people that are out there hey look there's safety here they don't want to hear it ah oh, no look we got all the fields we can see we know the hordes are coming they're way off now now let me get one more crop in because they're chasing after all the worldly stuff we're, that's what we're supposed to do we're not the bulwark we're not holding it back we're not the ones stopping it that's, that's the ancient of days job the reality is, is that all evil forces will fall, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. He won at the cross. When he rose from the dead, death was defeated, and all evil with it is defeated. So that when he returns, 
and claims his kingdom. This is his kingdom. He just hasn't claimed it yet. See, that's, that, he's not coming to win a kingdom. He already won it. It's already his. It was given to him by his father. <clears throat> he's already got it. He just hasn't come to take possession of it. It's kind of like, you know, you buy a car. you got to go down to the lot and take possession of it and drive it off. He hasn't come to claim his kingdom. Because when he comes, he has to judge everything. Man, lawlessness is being restrained. This is not as bad as it's going to get. It's going to get a lot worse. But we don't have to worry about it. We don't need to be concerned with it. Paul is telling the Thessalonians, don't fear. You didn't miss out, and it hasn't happened yet. Comment? Question? I have a lot to look up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, I mean, there are a lot of teachers out there that, that okay. make this stuff out really <clears throat> important, and it's just not. Here's another verse. <clears throat> this time I looked it up. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, this is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mark 15, 16, 15. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But who, he, well, anyway. And these signs will accompany those who have believed. Many In my name, they will cast out demons. Yeah, that's not spiritual warfare, though. That's not the war. They're, they're casting out the demons that they're encountering while they're doing life. So we're not going to we're, we're not we're, Yeah, we're not. Yeah, we're not. And they're only casting them out. What does that mean? Well, that means that they come back in. They're not defeated. You're not, you're not eliminating them. This is not the same thing as what we're talking about. This is the fall of evil. It's going to be eliminated. We're not waging that war. We're going from place to place telling people about Christ. And in order for them to be saved, we're casting out demons. And they're just going somewhere else. They're not going away. We're not exiling them to hell. Oh, I love the TV shows that are like that. You know, they're, they're sending demons to hell and all that. The only person who can send the demons to hell is God. And that happens on Judgment Day. When he finally judges them. They haven't been judged yet. They've been kicked out of heaven and they came here. That's what we're told. And they've got full reign because they haven't been judged yet. Just as we've not been judged yet. Judgment Day is coming. But that's a whole side uh, thing. Thessalonians chapter 2, 9 through 12. Let's finish this up. <clears throat> anyway. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that, the, so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in righteousness. Okay, this is important that we see this and understand this. The coming of this lawless one, this lawless man, is an activity of Satan. Satan is going to send him. He is not Satan. He's an agent of some sort. What's interesting is that he comes with deception. 
And because people, now this is, this is the critical part. He is not deceiving people who want to believe. People who refused to accept truth. People that have heard the gospel and said, no, I'm not interested. <coughs> I like my life. I don't want your life. I'm not interested in God controlling me. I've had students over the years when I was teaching high school who understood salvation. They wrote papers on it for me. They did not want and did not believe God could, could do their life as well as they could do it. It was total rejection by choice. That's what they're talking about here. Is that they knew truth but rejected it. Let's uh, move it forward. <clears throat> He's coming and he will be deceiving the world by performing of signs. Let's face it, we're a world that loves a spectacle. And as we come to the modern age of video and now, what, what do they call the, uh, the virtual, reality. virtual reality, the more we can make it look like the real world, the more we're into it. So we already got the real world. Why do we need the virtual real world? If I, I, I like the idea of the virtual world, but I want it to be like something even cool, you know, something cooler that this world can't do. You know, build me a world that looks like Harry Potter fantasy thing. That'd be cool. Or Star Trek. That'd be cool. So I don't want a virtual world that is the world. That seems so crazy. What about it? Well, I was going to say, you will never, ever get <coughs> But when you go to I'm soaring, and you're flying over the Empire State Building or the Eiffel Tower, I'd never do that for real. Yeah. But that's, you know, it's like, but we, yeah, we're building a virtual world that's like the real world. We love signs, and Satan is going to empower this guy to come and perform signs, and people are going to go, ooh. <coughs> the problem is, is that people who are not lovers of truth are the ones that are going to be deceived. They want to be deceived. <coughs> they don't want truth. They understand, they know there's a God. Let's face it, we all knew that God was out there. It's funny because I've known atheists, actual guys who are scientists who, but they get to the end of their life or they get to a point in their life and they have to accept the possibility that he's there. And they want you to pray for them. You know, pray to your God, whatever he is, because I've got cancer now, or something's happening with my children, or whatever. And all of a sudden, God comes back in, because nobody can live that vacuum. Because we're not, we're created in His image. We can deny it all we want, but when it comes down to where the rubber actually meets the road, we can't live that way. But they don't love the truth. They don't want it to be true. They put their fingers in their ears and go, ah, I don't want to hear it. I don't want it because we know it's true. So God says, fine. 
He gives them over to a delusion. That's important. We're talking about how this lawless man is being withheld right now. These delusions that are coming, that Satan is going to devise, God is going to withdraw the restraint that he has, and he's going to give over people to the delusions. You don't want me? Fine. Have what you want. Here it is. And this guy, this lawless one, with all his power and prestige <laughs> and magnificence, is going to show up, and everybody's going to be like, wow, that's a god. Now, that's something I can get behind. And they will. And they're going to follow him. They will be deluded because God is going to remove that which is holding them from believing it. See, he's already withholding the lawless one. And when he's turned loose, the only thing that's going to keep us from falling for his delusions is our love of truth, our love of God, our love of Christ, and our love together of each other. We're going to look at it and go, no, no, wait, that's not, that's not what the Word of God says. They're going to give themselves over to the pleasures of unrighteousness. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to be like, see, this is the way life was meant to be. And they're going to look at us and go, you guys are crazy. You're doing your kid. You're... Why don't you just get give up having one wife? Just go and enjoy all the fruit that's out there, all the women or all the guys. Just pick and choose whatever you want. Those whole swinging communities, we've talked about that. Yeah, just enjoy life's pleasures and all that. No regrets, no restraints. The whole free love, it's all right, it's all good. Yeah, imagine what the delusion is going to be like when it's being powered by Satan with some dynamic, lawless guy fluffing the whole thing up. Everybody's going to be like, yes, this is the way life was meant to be lived. And they're going to look at us like, we're all crazy. You're all cuckoo. Because the whole world is going to be deceived. And the only thing we're going to have to cling to is what? The truth. The truth. And each other. Mm -hmm. This is what Paul keep, or Paul, uh, Chris keeps talking about. We need each other because we're going to be the only support system that we have. I don't know how bad it's going to get. I don't know what it's going to look like. But it may be that we're going to only be able to work for each other. That we won't even be able to get jobs in the regular secular world. You're going to have to make a choice. You can go work for Company X but you got to live by their standards and policies, which includes no, no Christianity. Maybe. I mean, we, we, we know how our world is. You know, you can't climb, especially for women, you couldn't climb the, the corporate ladder unless you were willing to do certain favors for certain bosses. Use your knees. Yeah, exactly. Well, what happens when that becomes the litmus test? Well, you, you, you want to work here, then you need to participate in the corporate pool, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? And the world is going to do this. And it may come down that we're only able to work and employ each other. It very well could come to that. I don't know. But that's our concern, is that when the whole world becomes deceived and we're the only ones with truth, we're going to be isolated. And the only people we're going to have to be friends with, to marry our sons and daughters off to, is going to be each other. Because to go outside of that is to be to end up in this deception, which apparently is going to be pretty impressive. 
The whole point of the Antichrist, which is who the lawless one is. Paul doesn't actually call him that, but that's who he's referring to. The whole point of the Antichrist is to offer deception. That's what Paul says. That's what Paul is trying to explain. It's going to be this large deception. Now, this deception is an alternative to the Bible and salvation. Now, the Bible wasn't written in Paul's day. He talks about truth, which he's referring to the Old Testament as the truth and salvation of Christ. Go ahead, let her back in. That's what he's going to offer is an alternative to what we know is in here. So anybody offering anything that's an alternative to this, guess what? They're part of this lawless one that's coming. That also means that we need to know what's in here. This studying of this is more important now than it has ever been in any age before. And you know what's really sad is that this is more readily available than it has ever been in the history of the world. I can get this in any language that there is, almost. There, there's still languages that don't have a copy of it. I have a brother-in-law who works for Wycliffe, and they're still working on translation. But I can get this almost in any store. Everybody sells Bibles. The vast majority of hotels <laughs> offer them free right in the room in a drawer because the Gideons go around and place them. Not only can I get this in any language that I like to read it in, <clears throat> but I can get it in whatever version I like, <laughs> with that, whatever flavor I like. They sell Bibles that are just men's Bibles. They sell Bibles that are just women's Bibles. They sell teen Bibles that are flavored it's the same word of God, but it's been flavored to a teenage level. Ooh. I can get it in Creole, flavored for them, which is a you know pseudo-English-French <laughs> mix. I can get it in almost any flavor I want. It's available. Are people reading it? Are people studying it? I can get I can get more than one. I mean, you realize the cost of owning one Bible a hundred years Ooh. ago? Well, it's cheap. I've probably got eight on my shelf in various versions and from different eras of my life yeah. and marked up different ways and all that. We've probably all got more than one at home. Back in the day, it'd be one per family, and we're not talking about your core family. We're talking about the whole extended family. Think the Waltons. <laughs> you know, the multiple generations living together. They had one Bible for the whole family. I can get it in any size I want. I mean, this is a pretty thick one. I can get it real thin. I can get it in large font, small font, microscopic font. We have got the eyes to hear it. Yeah, I can get it now on my phone, my computer, my tablet. I don't even have to carry it around with me. I can get it electronically. In audio. In audio. But what are we doing with it? See, this is the problem. It is so readily available, we don't think anything of it. It's like, it's become, it's more common than anything. About the only thing more common than the Bible is water. <laughs> really? Yeah. Nobody can, nobody's concerned about it, where it is, what it is. I, we, we find them all the time. Becca cleans up the church every week. And she's always picking up and piling them up on the shelf downstairs. 
because we leave them around. And then just little kids, adults too. Oh, I left my Bible at church. Ah, it's not a big deal. I got another four at home. So we don't worry about it. The problem is, is that because it's become common, our thought about it is, no, it's just common. It's no longer important, and that's not true. We need to be studying it even more now than ever because the lawless one is coming, and he's coming with deception. He's not coming with guns, chains, and gulags, and all that, which is what we fear, and that's what they say. false teachers keep pushing out there. Oh, they're coming to take your guns. They're coming to take your freedom. They're coming to take... No, they're coming with deception, and we are going to willingly give up all those things because we're going to be deceived, and then we're going to go, yes, take them, and they're going to be offered as sacrifices to these false gods because we think that they're what's important, and we're going to come and worship them, and we're going to offer all this stuff, and it's all going to be because we haven't spent enough time here in study and understanding the word so that we can look at it and go, you know what, that's not what the Bible says. Because the scripture twisters are out there twisting it. And once they start twisting it, then the liars come along and they start lying about it. And because we've already bought into the twist, now we buy into the lie. It's, it's a step-by-step -step process. And we fall away in apostasy. I'm such a creature of habit. A couple of things to... To take with us. First, we can relax knowing that God is in control. We do not need to be worried, hyped, or anything else about what's coming. It's okay. Because when God releases the lawless one, first of all, those of us who know, who've spent the time and energy to study and know God's word, we're not going to fall away. We're not going to be deceived. Secondly, if he's released him, it isn't long that he will come and judge him. We can relax. We don't need to be all upset about what's happening in our world. Secondly, Jesus will conquer all evil at his return. He is not going to put up with it. When his foot touches down on the Mount of Olives, which is everybody is looking for, and oh, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta reclaim the Mount of Olives. No, we don't. We do not need to reclaim Jerusalem. He will do it. That's what we gotta put our faith in. Not governments, not our own abilities, and all that. It's all irrelevant. Jesus will wipe it all away, and He will take care of it. It is His, and He is coming with His legions to do His bidding. As it is in heaven, so it will be on earth. So we don't need to worry about it. I don't need to try and, and buy it up or whatever it is that people are trying to do nowadays. they got all sorts of schemes and scams. And you know what? It's already Jesus, and he will take care of it himself. He's a big boy. He doesn't need my help. He needs me to help each other so that when he comes, he has a bride. That's what he wants. He wants us preparing for that. Remember the whole thing about the ten virgins? They didn't, some didn't put the oil in the lamp and they weren't ready and weren't allowed in. We need to be the ones that are going and putting the oils in our lamp so that we're ready when he comes. He didn't need anybody to run out there giddy. He's coming. When he gets here, evil will be done away with. And lastly, rejecting truth leads to deception and judgment. 
If we reject what is written in Scripture for whatever reason, we open ourselves up to being deceived. That's the first step. We don't want somebody telling us what to do. He told us how to live. He told us to take his burden, his yoke upon us. It's easier. He knows what he was talking about. But we don't like the idea of somebody having sovereignty over me. That rubs us, particularly as Americans, the wrong way in seven ways to Wednesday. We don't want to be told what to do, how to do, when to do by anybody. I'm a person. I'm a me. I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want. Well, that's not God's way because he's in charge. He answers to nobody. He asks us to submit ourselves to him. And the thing that we get from that is that we will not be deceived, nor will we be judged. Annie. I, maybe I'm dense, because I'm still not getting this. So I need, I need you to clarify it if you can. And if mm -hmm. you will. Um, it says, only he who now restrains it, I'm talking about Jesus, right? He's restraining yep. it. Yep. Will do so until he, meaning we've, the world, gotten Jesus out of the way, and now he's going to, then he's going to release the lowest one and he'll be revealed. No, I think you're getting your pronouns. Right. Yeah, hold on. Let me find it. What, what part is that? That's uh, seven in uh, second um, chapter, or first second chapter. For the mystery of the lawless one is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until... He is out of the way. The he there is the restrainer. So he's going to get. He's going to remove himself out of the way. Yeah, and the world's so much of the world's turned away from him. He's out right. of the way now. Right. He's he's going to. Yeah. A lot of people want to say that that's the rapture that's going to take the church because the church is what's keeping him at bay. But we're not keeping him at bay. It's Christ. It's God Himself who's keeping him at bay, and He is going to remove Himself when the world has finally reached the point that it's totally rejecting Him. He'll say, okay, fine. And he's going to step out of the way and let loose that <clears throat> which they want. That's, uh, and he's going to give them over to that delusion because that's what they've asked for. That's what I thought it was saying, but I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't no, that, that's what it's saying. Okay. He's looking out for them right now, even though they won't accept him. But at some point, he's going to finally say, okay, I'm done. <clears throat> Here's the world you want. You can have it. It's all yours. Reject that truth, and it leads to deception and judgment. Let's close in prayer. Father, we know you're coming, and we can't wait. But Lord, for the sake of the world, we hold on and continue to live the way you've taught us to live. Lord, help us to continue to grow in you, that we study and put out the effort to know you more each day so that we may not be deceived not just by the world, but by Satan and those that are serving him in whatever way that works out, that they are coming for us. And the only thing that will keep us safe is knowing you and binding together with each other and living the life you told us to live. Help us to do that today in Jesus' name. Amen.